Welcome back to a brand new episode of Two Please. I am your host Abhin, and I am your co-host Rohit. And Rohit, what are we talking about today, dude? Uh, so today's discussion or topic of discussion has actually been triggered by uh, a recent event, a tragic event that happened last week. Um, very famous director. I'm sure a lot of you might have heard his name, Jean-Luc Godard, passed away. I think at the age of 80 last yeah. week. and if i if i remember if i've read it correctly it was assisted suicide of sorts oh, it, like, really? it was yeah he was he died in switzerland ailing with something and I, i think at some point he just decided enough is enough mm-hmm. i'd rather go out on my terms which i think is completely in line with the godard that we've read about or watched or whose movies we've watched that's a sort of uh, i mean i'm not surprised that he decided to take matters into his own hands mm-hmm. But uh, with that, I mean, we're not going to talk about Godard, guys. Before you leave yeah, the episode, yeah, please, yeah, we, don't, we don't want. Uh, and I don't think Abhin and I are qualified enough to hold an entire episode's worth conversation on just Godard's filmography. I've watched Breathless. Very ironic choice of title. Uh, but why can't you cut that out? No, you don't. <laughs> I'm sure it's a joke. He would have laughed. Yeah, at. he would have probably laughed. But uh, yeah, sorry, you were saying. Yeah, no, I I remember watching Breathless and being like, okay. <laughs> Yeah. Uh I don't know. I mean, I I guess it's a matter of sensibility. Uh-huh. I think I've watched two of his movies, mm. uh Breathless and Band Apart. Mm. Similar reaction. I think it was after having watched the movie, I was like, okay, now I can quantifiably say I have watched a Jean-Luc Godard movie because yeah. it's, it's more like ticking the box. Mm. Uh I uh, get we, like we have a, a, we have a friend who watched it in the gym. So every time we'd go on the treadmill, uh he would be watching breathless while he was running on the treadmill wow it took him 2 years to finish it <laughs> was he really running out of breath on know. the treadmill or is the this this one's thank you of you rajan <laughs> <laughs> so um, so as i was saying i think it's more a sensibilities thing it's he's a quintessentially european director mm mm-hmm. I I think there's little for us to relate to yeah. In, yeah with the characters with with what's happening and uh, also the the but he pioneered a lot of yes, what is yes. very popular in in I, I think it, obviously uh, a little bit of brief of Godard I think but before doing that uh-huh. we should start the episode what we should tell what we're talking about right we we so we still have yeah, we just still so, I mean, while we're starting of talking about Godard the Con- the topic of conversation today is not just John Luke Godard. We're just going to talk, have a freewheeling conversation about world cinema. Yeah. So we decided, hey, uh, we can't just talk about Godard. Then we're like, okay, let's take a step back. Can we just talk about French cinema? We're like, maybe we're still not qualified enough <laughs> to just talk about French cinema. So let's just talk about non-English cinema. So that's yeah. the idea, non-Hindi, non-English. Exactly. Cinema. Like that's kind of that's. I was just about to. Uh, Because if uh, I if I don't make the Hindi disqualify uh, the qualifier, then we'll end up just talking about Bollywood. Exactly. Like, and, and I think we've done enough episodes of Bollywood. Like, if you listen to the last episode, we did a <laughs> it was a much longer episode, yeah. but nearly an hour and a half on. on Brahmastra and the Indian superhero. Yes. If you haven't checked it out please go check it out. But uh that being said, it's the World Cinema episode. Let's start the show. I am big. It's the picture that got small.
Yeah, so like I was saying, I think uh, coming back to a you know to bookend the sort of bookend the conversation on on Godard. I think more than anything else, because he was part of the French New Wave along with Truffaut, along with Jean-Pierre Melville. Jean-Pierre Melville probably came half a decade later. Mm. Uh, but I think again, this is strictly my view, and maybe the scholarly consensus is completely different, and I might sound like an idiot in saying so. But I feel. in the whole uh, french new wave uh, revolution that that the whole that movement brought to cinema obviously one was doing away with operatic storytelling larger than life settings etc uh, they really started focusing on very real stories mm. uh, very real characters people that their audience probably knew in their in their own lives and obviously uh, i would say with a with the lag of half a decade or a little over a decade then say that same sort of moment made a transition to the us as well with uh, i would say easy rider sort of kicked it off mm-hmm. and um, i think that is starring uh, jack nicholson and, and uh, dennis hopper. hopper yeah so i would say that is more than anything else the contribution of french new wave cinema was to bring that sort of realism again i would it would be wrong of me to say uh credit just french new wave cinema for that because even before that i would say roberto rossellini and vittorio de sica in mm. in italy i would say in late 40s early 50s had already started this sort of neo realist movement of cinema to try and uh talk about grittier more real stories but for those who don't know what neo realist cinema is like how would you briefly explain that again i think it it uh think of uh think of a gone with the wind okay. think of a casablanca mm. think of uh any of your howard hawks movies mm-hmm. uh i mean howard hawks is again a very niche character okay i mean these are names you'll uh, you'll probably have to wiki a little but these are guys so basically what i'm saying is the early decades of cinema was what the was a celebration of the medium yeah. you have a way to tell stories at scale mm-hmm. so let's make use of that scale they would be larger than life you would have somebody like a cecil d uh, cecil b demille making the 10 commandments mm-hmm. which is again in terms of scale it's 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 a huge religious story yeah. there's there's more like big cinematic moments it, basically the first few decades of cinema were zack snyder's wet dream <laughs> right but at some ben point ben's and your spartacus is exactly. spartacus i think is 1960 so spartacus yeah. is a little later yeah. but ben her is again a classic example of larger than life operatic cinema mm-hmm. but i think it was a result of the second world war where people's optimism really took a hit mm-hmm. and uh, I think the enthusiasm for telling stories which were so clearly divorced from reality sort of also was on the downward and uh, we see the effects of these in in my limited knowledge primarily or rather you see them first in uh, sprout in italy mm-hmm. and neorealist cinema i think roberto rossellini and uh, vittorio de sica who i mean rossellini of course his most famous work being rome open city and vittorio de sica who we might have heard for his movie the bicycle thief uh, again very real stories of real people uh, set in you know well, how do i put it it's it's unglamorous exactly it's like uh, it's it's an everyday it's almost it's i wouldn't call it a slice of life it's more like an the camera is an observer yes there are things happening to regular people and the camera is an observer so that's a new realist movement started i would say that's my understanding of it although i'm sure there were progenitors even before the mm. war people have always wanted to try and be more honest and say talk about you know smaller stories yeah but um, there was that and coming back to godard just to uh, close close out the point there uh while french neorealist cinema uh, french new wave cinema sort of 
took that Italian movement and made it a little more mainstream because mm-hmm. those movies uh, saw a lot, lot more, had a lot more followership, saw a lot more light of day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say Truffaut was slightly the more emotional spearhead. He would uh, at least 400 blows. Mm-hmm. I'm going just off of that. Uh, it's a very uh, sentimental story. It's it's a very human story. Mm-hmm. While Truffaut was more the technical uh, pioneer in the sense. So by we, technical, I mean various ways to tell a story, to, uh, various ways to structure a narrative, various ways to have your characters converse with each other. I think on on those fronts, I think Godard was really a pioneer, and uh, especially when you're doing something for the first time things are going to be awkward. You're going to, as as Facebook puts it, you move fast and break things. You're, mm-hmm. Things are going to be a little off. It, it, your end product may not be perfect. Uh, perfect, but it's recognized, and especially in Goddard's case, I'm sure it's recognized for being a pioneer more One than anything. One of the it's, earlier f- cases of the jump cut, right? I think Goddard really yes. utilized this. Yes. There's a driving scene. I'm not quite sure which movie it is from, where the entire scene is like, you. there are a series of jump cuts. And up to that point, Nobody had really attempted a jump cut. And now jump cuts are so commonplace in most films. Uh, people do tend to forget that it came from the French New Wave movement. Uh, so if somebody were to check out, let's say, Truffaut's 400 Blows, which is kind of what this whole episode is kind of meant to be, we're going to talk about our experiences with world cinema and yeah. some of the films that have moved us to such a degree that we'd recommend them to others to go check out. Yeah. So with the likes of 400 Blows, like why... if I've I've seen it in part, but if you were to explain it to, to a complete layman, what what would be the USP for the film? How to summarize blows, story, it's, really? it's about uh, it's about a kid who who doesn't know what his place in society is, and and that's a a difficult topic to approach, right? Yeah. Because as kids, you're not expected to know uh, your place. Your place, society. yeah. Yeah, so the protagonist of the movie is um, 13-year-old Antoine Duanel. Mm-hmm. And um, again, on the cusp of puberty, he's, he starts lashing out, he's rebelling, he's trying to sort of find his feet, trying to understand who he is. Today, for us, it's a topic that is that feels as old as time. Yeah, it's like a coming, coming of age story. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, now there's a whole genre uh, Based off convention of off of it. Yeah, so coming of age stories. But for that time, I think it was still relatively new. And uh, like I said, more than anything else, I think it's Truffaut's treatment of it. There's a certain tenderness. There's a certain empathy, which... I mean, in hindsight, we know that Truffaut based the character of Antoine on his own childhood. Mm-hmm. So obviously, we can see where the the empathy comes from. Uh, but there's a that, that that approach to uh, telling the story is what really makes 400 Blows memorable for me. Again, to contrast it with Godard, like I was mentioning, there's a certain I feel there's a certain coldness in Godard's movies, mm-hmm. which is why to me they don't stay with me the way for a 400 Blows does. Mm-hmm. So there's like this almost like like you mentioned right a, a cold like quality to his films where you can't really empathize with his characters very well because it's it feels like you're you're a very detached part of the film you are watching the movie but it's not quite an immersive experience i for me personally i maybe with age that will change and maybe i will start to see things with with the french new wave films specifically godard that i haven't seen before or i hadn't because that's usually what happens even with movies if if i were to go back closer to home i ended up watching mughal azam which is considered to be this massive epic mm. 
one of India's greatest ever films. And I absolutely hated it at the age of 13. But I grew to appreciate it at the age of 22, 23. Because that's when I saw it again and I had a real appreciation for, for the medium. Similarly with Godard, I saw Breathless when I was 22, 23. Mainly in part to the fact that we were doing a lot of quizzes where European cinema was heavily yes. discussed. I am the kind of person who needs to watch something, even though I, I because it ruins the experience for me. You say reading about it doesn't cut it. Yeah, it really doesn't cut it. Like, unless it's like a film that is pure shock horror that I can't sit through, then I'm, I'll read about it. But then I have to watch it because that's, mm. it, it kind of, it's like cheating. Mm. It, it, I, 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 I understand, although yeah. I myself cheat regularly, I understand yeah, it's, what you're it's saying. Like it's, it kind of ruins the experience for me. That's as much of a cinephile I can, as I can possibly <laughs> be. Um, but yeah, I, I, so just to close off the Godard conversation for which we've been going on for quite some time. So to, to close off on the Godard conversation, uh, not exactly my cup of tea. I appreciate what he's done. Breathless is a movie I have tried to sit through a couple of times. I've seen it uh, to completion uh, through in my first watch. And the ending is quite brutal. Mm. If, you, uh, yeah. if you do remember it, I won't spoil it for anyone else. Um, the second time around, I still was felt more or less the same feelings about the movie. But... Maybe in a couple of years when I do re- revisit it, my opinion may have changed. Uh, Maybe, but I feel it's unlikely because this is just the last point I wanted to make. I, I was just reminded of it. I think Goddard's movies are also a product of his time in the sense that in the 60s, the student revolt movement was really taking yeah. taking off in, in uh, France. If not in France, at least definitely in Paris. I think Which the is, student revolts took place in 1968. Yeah, speaking of The Student Revolt, there's a really nice film, a French movie made on it called The Dreamers. Yes. We all ended up, let's be honest, we all ended up watching the movie for Eva Green because it was like our discovery of Eva Green, but then you end up getting a really nice movie. It is a nice movie. Um, But, I mean, yeah, yeah. like I was saying, it's very clear that 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 sort of angst... Influenced uh, a lot of his work. And his characters are the sort of people who in real life were part of the revolt. So you can see that sort of... There's a dynamism in, in Goddard's movies, mm. which I think were also a product of his times. But I think enough about uh, Goddard, Goddard yeah. and Truffaut and French New Wave. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's let's jump on to a different place. Just a couple of directors. Like before we move country, I just want to mention, uh, we've already spoken about Melville. I would also urge people, if you're interested in uh, French realist cinema, to also check out Louis Malé. Yes, I was just about to bring on Malé because Louis yes. Malé has a very strong influence on Wes Anderson. Um, there oh, is nice yeah. yeah now I mean now that you mention it, it Wes Anderson it. speaks about this there is there's a mm. movie called Zazi in the Metro which if you were to sit and watch today you will see a lot of the Wes Anderson style of filmmaking that came out of that movie mm. interesting I mean now that you mention it in hindsight it does seem a little obvious mm-hmm. uh, okay I think that that's our little vignette on French cinema let's quickly jump to now I, I i know we mentioned a couple of directors from the italian film industry but obviously there are so many more that we would love to talk about uh, primarily a big name that we've not mentioned so far is uh, federico fellini yes i would say a few years after vittorio di sica and rossellini i would say half a decade he's more 50s while these two are slightly more 40s and 50s but uh, probably the most famous film we've all heard of is eight, eight and, and a half or auto i watched and i have distinctly disliked <laughs> yeah, it was a bit too 
ड्रीम लाइक एंड बिट टू डिटैच फ्रॉम रियालिटी एंड इट वॉज हार्ड टू कीप अप keep track of what exactly. is happening so, a, but marcelo mastriani is what a man oh my god the, <laughs> yeah, what the, charm the king of cool yeah he's also in uh, la dolce vita yes which is a much for me a much better film yes give uh rise i mean it's the, it is the first movie to ever have featured the word paparazzo which yes which then, in, now in fact i think the the profession co-opted that term exactly saying hey we finally have a word for ourselves so yeah and then the paparazzi has come from yes film i would say not as much of a, that's that's still more in the vein of those older hollywood movies or yes. like older cinematic movies it's it's especially the whole eggberg sequence in uh, the trevi fountain is mm. you, it has no place in a real a neo realist movie but i mean that apart it's still a very nice movie and it's a like you said much more understandable approachable uh, piece of uh, cinema as compared to an 8 and a half 8 and a half 8 and a half for me is still to this day a, a bit of a slog i watched it in the pandemic again and i was like oh dude i, I cannot yeah just maybe covid yeah <laughs> this but okay but what i really wanted to talk about and i know we've spoken a lot about our directors is i'd love to talk to you about the first time you watched um a non english and non hindi and non regional uh, language film ever like what was your introduction to it i would say it's so hard to remember i think 400 blows was one of the first non indian non english movies that i had watched and of course uh, one of one of my favorite movies which again i don't want to discuss in too much detail but since we're anyway uh, on the topic of italian cinema uh, i think one of the first movies that i also watched was cinema parody so mm-hmm. uh i mean that movie is just pure love for me uh it's it, like a great love letter to uh to cinema to cinema one of it's uh it's it's hard for me to put how so i for, feel about the movie in words so those of us who are uninitiated what is cinema parody so about so cinema parody so is about um this kid uh Again this is a semi autobiographical movie uh, the director of the movie JCP uh, Tornatore has said that uh, it's semi sort of partially inspired by his upbringing uh, on Sicily on the island of Sicily and uh, it's about a kid who finds a sort of mentor who really loves watching movies and who finds a sort of mentor uh, in the form of a movie projectionist mm-hmm. uh, by the name of alfredo okay and uh, it's a very strange but sweet relationship because here's a i would say what 5 6 year old kid and alfredo is easily what late 50s early 60s types he's a uh, older gentleman mm-hmm. and but you see there's this sweet friendship that these two develop which is predicated on their love of cinema that's it and uh, stuff happens life happens and uh, eventually he i don't know if i should spoil it no don't like don't yeah. i mean just just give life happens and it's it's a celebration of a life around cinema yeah i think that's as uh, that's as good of a hook as you could possibly yeah. if anybody would be remotely interested in and i think uh, abin and hola tedi agli we'll, we'll probably do a, a longer spoiler episode on just cinema parody so uh sometime but yeah. for now i would say i mean yeah coming back to your question i think that's i'm not sure if that was one of the first movies i watched but that is the one i most that and 400 blows is the one i mostly vividly remember saying hey world cinema is awesome okay let's watch more yeah i mean and martyrs of course yeah <laughs> we had to bring that up right i was i distinctly told myself i won't bring it up but okay here we are <laughs> so my exposure to world cinema was 
came through the Oscars, uh, two things happened. One, when Lagan got nominated for uh, the best foreign language film category at the Oscars, uh, there was a movie called No Man's Land. Mm. That was the first time I'd even heard of a foreign film category. But my uh, that wasn't exactly the first time I was exposed to foreign language films. Uh, it came through the Oscars. So the 98-99 year uh, of the Oscars with Saving Private Ryan was nominated and insanely lost to Shakespeare, Shakespeare in Love. In love which yeah. is one of the... Great, there's a great case study on how the Weinsteins pulled that off. Like mm. the wine, Harvey's an asshole. Uh, if, but if you do see what Miramax did to get Shakespeare in Love to be the winner of, of that year, it's nothing sort of insane. But also that year, the best actor didn't go to oh, Hollywood mm, actor. I forgot about that one. Yeah. yeah. So that was also the year Roberto Benigni was was nominated for Life is Beautiful. Uh, La Vita e Bella is what it's called. I guess, yeah. Mm. La Vita e Bella is, yeah. makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> but he also won... Um, the, the it also won the best foreign language film that year mm. uh, and his acceptance speeches for both are stuff of legend yeah uh, because Sophia Loren on, announces uh, I think one of the awards and to have her on there like the sheer joy and him jumping on the seats yes and running up and down the aisle uh, it's like it's such a arms raised and yeah arms it's raised. like a pure unfiltered expression of joy yeah and I remember all of us like my family being very intrigued about this movie it's about uh, a, a Jewish family that I think it's in France no in Italy right? Italy yeah, yeah it's sorry. a Jewish family in Italy uh, caught in the crossfire of yeah, the okay. second world war and the holocaust and uh being shipped off to concentration camps and a dad who has to increasingly come up with fantastical stories to make his son feel like all of it is a game. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, I mean, that's the second half of the movie. Even the courtship where uh, Roberto Benigni's character meets his wife or yeah, the kid's mother. His actual mother. wife as well. Yeah, yeah. who is also his actual wife. Even the whole courtship period is such a feel-good, like, in fact... You forget that, hey, you know what? Second half of the movie, Hitler's going to come and fuck shit up. <laughs> You're just like, hey, nice. These guys are like getting together. The way he's wooing her. It's it's fun. It's it's very heartwarming. and It has possibly one of the most heartbreaking images in uh, in movie history. Towards the end. Oh my says, God, dude. I don't like, I don't even want to revisit the ending. It's just, it uh, is a knife in the heart. Yeah, it, it just, it, it really just, uh, it, I remember us watching it at home uh, with subtitles mm. and uh, like there was not a dry eye in the house, quite literally. In fact, I feel, I, I kind of, I don't know if this is fair to say, I kind of dislike the movie because of, it almost feels manipulative. Yeah. The way it makes you feel. You're like, dude, don't make it this sad, dude. <laughs> like, come on. But then you're like, hey, it's the Holocaust. Yeah. There's no joy there. Yeah, there really was it. Like, I mean, you had Schindler's List a few years prior. Yeah. And that movie was just bereft of any humor yeah. or anything. It was just... Uh, Spielberg talks about it, right? About how it was um, one of the the hardest experiences he's ever had in filming... Um, uh, in filming yeah I'm sure he used to say he used to cry after every day of shooting he's also in the news for the Fablemans which I'm very interested in, which is a semi-art autobiographical uh, movie hey no Hollywood <laughs> let's let's restrict ourselves yeah coming fine. back coming back 
Yeah, so Life is Beautiful is, was my first introduction to it. I was like, oh, okay, there's yeah. there are other movies out nice there. Nice introduction, nice first movie, first yeah. non-whatever, world cinema movie to watch. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, a, a good recommendation for people, just a word of warning, get prepared to get fucked emotionally. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If, to put it in plain terms, yeah, it's to quite... To put a finer point on it, just get fucked. <laughs> Wow, okay, that's going to be fun. Uh, but lovely movie, all said and done. But, uh, I mean, yeah, I think, again, inadvertently, we've sort of covered uh, Italian of Italian, Italian yeah. cinema as well. In fact, now that we're uh, talking about, we've been talking about movies from that era, I think I would be remiss to not acknowledge another master from slightly further north, mm-hmm. uh, who also has a big role to play in the, in the propagation of realist cinema. I'm talking about... Uh, Sweden's yeah. yeah I'm talking about the Swedish ma- maestro Ingmar Bergman again I think his peak was 50s and 60s I think 1957 was a, a great year for him mm-hmm. which had him do Wild Strawberries as well as the Seventh Seal as well as uh, Memento uh, I keep Persona. saying Memento Persona from 1966 which in my opinion has a one of the greatest montage sequences mm-hmm. that said again I would put him for me at least more in the vein of Godard wherein Oh, yeah, I can appreciate his his pioneering storytelling techniques and the way his character like his characters were unique you can already see that that avant-garde nordic approach to filmmaking mm. uh take form um in in Ingmar Bergman's works which over the years people like a uh Winterberg or a Lars von Trier I would say have almost perfected or what are refined mm-hmm. but you it's really hard to enjoy his movies oh yeah Have, have you what, what have you seal, uh, yeah. particularly I discovered the seven seal oh. through 500 days of summer because yeah great, <laughs> there's a great, a great homage uh, to it yeah there's a great homage to basically like European cinema which yes. they keep making fun of it yes and then I was like and I wanted to know what this movie is about where there is a man who's playing chess with the devil on a beach yes he's playing a chess with death death oh, right yes. sorry Yeah, with, with death on the beach and I wanted to know more about it and then again it's a very surreal film yes uh, especially with what was available to the director at the time and it, it's a bit of a watch it's, it's a bit of a, a struggle more than a bit yeah <laughs> I wouldn't call Ingmar Bergman as my cup of tea and I wouldn't recommend it to people who are very new to World Cinema yeah I mean that's something you've got to work up to yeah <laughs> it's not something like, you can just like, dive like into it it's like building out muscles right it's like you yeah. can't go deadlift 100 kilos yeah yeah uh, after having never worked out ever so yeah. it's like so I'd call him Mark Bergman's it's, body it's of work it's a it's a slog yeah it's, to put it politely <laughs> but slog. again uh, the the larger contribution of Bergman I, I it sounds so stupid for you and I to sit here and say hey Bergman's contribution is so and so but like I said I think what he started to me is sort of personified not personified is sort of codified in what ended up becoming dogma 95 mm-hmm. which is for those of you who don't know dogma 95 is is this sort of movement or it's a codification of rules for filmmaking that uh, uh, Thomas Winterberg Lars von Trier and I'm forgetting a couple more directors primarily danish but mm-hmm. broadly nordic directors who said hey we're we're going to place restrictions on ourselves so that we challenge ourselves and push ourselves to tell real stories with not resorting to scale mm-hmm. as a sort of narrative crutch okay we'll keep scale small but we'll focus on the character stories etc and that's why i feel every once in a while there is a great movie that comes out of denmark there's a great movie that comes out of norway again nordic i was just about to bring up 
the Danish film industry, which has had a, a golden period in the last 10-12 years. There is with, a wonderful uh, film that came out earlier this year. It's called The Worst Person in the World. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if you've seen it. I've heard of it. It is... It's it's a coming-of-age story. It's about this woman who is, like, fresh out of college. She's just trying to find a job and find her place. And she ends up dating a bunch of people. It's one of the nicest and the, mo- the most heartwarming stories I've seen. It's also very, very um, heartbreaking in certain points. It's very surreal as well. And I can totally see where the influence comes from. Uh, highly, highly recommend... Um, so it's directed by Joachim Trier, who is a uh, who's a Danish-born Norwegian film director. This is what I was being confused about. I was like, I, I'm sure this film is by a Norwegian director, but he's Danish-born. Uh, and Renate Rensway is uh, Rensway. I'm so sorry. I, I mean, we are, we're going yeah. to butcher a lot of names. It's on uh, Amazon Prime for any of... And this is a movie that anybody can sink their teeth into. This is extremely um, approachable. <laughs> if that in, makes a way, any sense, yes. in a way. Uh, and... Highly, highly recommend from my end. You may not enjoy it the way I did, but it's such a fun time. But sorry, yeah, I just wanted to add that in. Now, on the other end of the spectrum for Norwegian movies, I'd just like to make a quick mention. I don't know if you watched this. I mean, although I strongly feel you would have. Uh, talking about 2010 or 12's uh, Troll Hunter. I've heard of it, but <laughs> I've not It's amazing. <laughs> I mean, that this is a, it's a mockumentary. Uh, it's a found footage horror mockumentary. Oh, nice. Uh, again, that's a very interesting string of words to of put course, together. Yeah, to put but together. Uh, again, I think Norwegian cinema can go from worst person in the world to troll hunter. Mm-hmm. We obviously have mentioned another round uh, in our feel good episode, uh, and uh, I think same actor Mads Mikkelsen. The other movie that I really really love is uh, 2012's The Hunt. Mm-hmm. So it's about uh, a guy played by Mads Mikkelsen. He's a school teacher. His best friend's daughter is a student in his class young she's not she's pre pre-adolescent mm. she has a crush on him and obviously he, he i mean he sees she's a kid right so he doesn't see her that way and to sort of take revenge on him she tells people that he molested her mm. and then the rest of the story unfolds as to how society doesn't give him the benefit of the doubt and starts treating him in a certain way mm-hmm. and that is the hunt the hunt for the supposed criminal that he is mm-hmm. it's a devastating movie oh. uh, so yeah like i was mentioning great great uh, set of movies to have come out of that region across the decades across the years uh, in case you guys want to check out uh, i think before we uh, end up spending all of our time in europe we should also do a quick jaunt around other places that we want to yeah, talk about sure. before you make that jump Quick word on German cinema. Have you watched anything that you've liked? I would... Like, if you remind me, I probably know... Like, I... I the Lives of Others? I have not seen The Lives of Others. It is, again, a devastating movie. I think... I don't know why I... I Lives of Others was 2004. Was that a year when India had a submission that went far? I'm not remembering. Because similar to No Man's Land, I remember... 2006, I think, Lives of Others. Which would make it what? Rangde Basanti. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I think Rangde Basanti made it fairly Yeah, it ahead. didn't make the official five, but it was there. Yeah, because I think that that's the reason I remember having come across the lives of others and obviously rave reviews at the time. I was like, okay, let's check it out, see what it's all about. Mm-hmm. So it's about an East German agent who is spying on uh, his fellow people because East Germany at the time was pretty much an extension of Soviet Russia. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, 
it's just him sort of getting these how do i say peaks into people's lives uh, through have uh, overhearing their conversations which is why the title lives of others mm-hmm. and again it's a devastating movie there's there's one main track that you sort of follow and um, i mean amazing movie there's 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 that and uh, the other movie that comes to mind uh, to me is das boot it it is in the vein of uncut gems for me in the sense that because the entire movie is set uh, in a submarine it's super claustrophobic it's super anxiety inducing you can almost sort of smell the characters and their toil and sweat jump out from across the screen the camera is always in like i think the furthest the camera is mid focus oh otherwise always like close ups to super tight close up and you just like oh there's no like you feel there's no space in the is movie is it the definite submarine new movie yes i mean if what is the other contender i would say hunt for red october that and maybe u571 but yeah. again both of them aren't very they're trying to tell a cinematic story uh, yeah hunt for red october i mean i know we're not this is world cinema but hunt for red october the set they have built for the submarine is so impressive it is it is uh but again it feels it feels like it's a cinematic story yeah while dashboard is just like hey you've been thrown into this submarine with uh, a bunch of world war 2 u boat pilots who have no hope who have nothing to look forward to they hate their existence but this is what they're good at and therefore this is what their contribution to the war effort is going to be and mm-hmm. it's just like wow what a fucked up situation <laughs> uh again there's no respite there's there is no it's not like there's a hero's journey where oh there's going to be some redemption for them or whatever it's just three and a half hours of what life in a u boat is like uh, so this is make for a riveting watch i haven't seen it it is a riveting watch but it is exhausting first of all it's 3 hours plus of course uh and 3 hours of very high intense very up cl- like you're up close and personal and, uh, yeah. claustrophobic so you're just like whew. I need to take a bath. I need to sleep. <laughs> That's how you feel after the movie. But a great, great watch. Uh, I would highly recommend it to people who who like realistic depictions of uh, wartime experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? Um, uh, the Untergang, which unfortunately for most people is famous because of the Hitler meme. Yes. The Hitler in the bunker, where you can superimpose whatever situation you want. But Bruno Ganz's Hitler for me is one of the finest. performances i have seen put on screen mm-hmm. because bruno gans manages to even capture mannerisms of hitlers which are in hindsight quite subtle mm-hmm. because now we know today that hitler was uh, his doctor was prescribing him a lot of methamphetamines and barbiturates to keep himself uh, energetic even at, at his age and hitler was essentially a meth addict yeah. which a lot of people didn't know and he used to have these tremors in his left hand and if you watch any scenes from uh, downfall or the untergang you will see that bruno gans actually replicates that mannerism constantly whenever he's on screen you see his left hand shaking i'm like that's an excellent attention to detail yeah, and he has given a powerhouse of a performance which again a lot of us laugh at a specific part of but but, oh, but in the overarching story it's there. an amazing and it's a great chronicle of i would say the last month or the last two weeks of oh. Hitler in Berlin mm-hmm. in in his bunker as the Russian the Red Army is sort of making Swarming. inroads from the east and uh, it's a slow you know it's inevitably going to happen that and you know I mean if you know your history you know what is going to lead up to yeah but uh, just the build up to all of it and uh, again if you know your history you know that 
Goebbels and his family were also in the bunker and they committed suicide along with Hitler mm-hmm. and the whole scene of how that plays out in the movie are just like Ugh. all of this is so unnecessary i think the f- one message that downfall drives home for me is the futility of the war there was absolutely no need for any of it and it went on for for like 6 years yeah. and again lovely movie uh, i think a 2004 movie that i would definitely encourage everyone to watch so i mean quickly while we're on german cinema i kind of want to talk about another close in mean, fact uh, i would say if you're going to go in that direction you're sort of taking me to where i want to go next anyway so yeah but i quickly before we get to where i think you want to go i want to stop i want to go east but uh, i want to stop in poland for a little yes. bit uh andrei zelowski i have not seen a lot of zelowski's work but i have seen one movie uh, which is 1981's possession mm-hmm. starring isabella jani and sam neil yes this is all i'll say about possession i've spoken about this in the past there is a man who comes back to his wife i think just after the war and they they have a son and he suspects that his wife is cheating on him with somebody and then as you he questions her as to what she's doing and like who this person is you realize that the person she is cheating on may not exactly be a person and that's all i'll say hmm. so gamer director recommended this movie on to you. one of his twitter threads <laughs> and i and i remember thinking oh okay i should go check it out and it is a visceral insane experience it's not for everybody isabella jani is possibly uh, her career best performance is in this movie uh, she was particularly pissed with zelowski because he made her sound look very crazy and she's apparently very vain and zelowski speaks about this he says everybody she's done a bunch of other films after that but nobody really remembers her for anything else mm. they remember her for possession i gave her the biggest hit of uh, film of her career um highly highly recommend if you haven't checked it out already it's, it's like a lovecraftian tale on should, a basic marriage so highly highly recommend from my end i should um sincere on our journey east i would also like to my god is going to be we're going to miss out on a lot of yeah of course I, I, this is i think this is like going a to be stream of consciousness episode in the sense that whatever, whatever i'm remembering i just want to like start doing these quick detours into we can and i also kind of want for anybody who's like the whole idea of this episode is for people to pique people's interest yes so we don't want just to give like, you enough so that you're like hey let me check this film let me check one of these movies out. i will obviously put all these movies in the description uh because we we are talking about yeah, a fair it's few it's a long ass description yeah it's going to be a long ass description i it'll be on the reel it'll be everywhere <laughs> so rest assured that you will be able to track these movies down or know what they are yes I would like to take a quick detour to Iranian cinema. Again, uh rich vein of good filmmaking there's um, there's Majid Majidi which I think is uh Children of God, Children of God, yeah, but yeah. Children of Heaven, sorry. But yeah, yeah, Asman, yeah. Mm-hmm. Children of Heaven. Uh then there's uh, Asghar Farhadi who is currently the I think ruling the roost in terms of he's the dude in Iranian cinema. Mm-hmm. Uh the one movie of his I've watched is A Separation, mm-hmm. I think a, a decade ago. uh again very realistic take on the disintegration of a marriage mm. uh reminiscent of a marriage story in that sense i would say but a marriage story is reminiscent of yeah, but in a much much harsher environment yes mm. in a much harsher environment i think noah bombach's treatment is a lot more tender i think noah bombach's treatment is is a treatment of like how you would uh, perceive divorce in the west yes like but divorce in iran is a whole other yes, concept yes. and uh 
Oscars is uh, I would be remiss to not mention Abbas Kiyorostami mm-hmm. although I have not watched a single movie of his <laughs> I read a description I'm like whoa this guy needs help man like <laughs> deeply depressed individual it looks like but uh, again all of these are uh, in their own name in their own right they're mm-hmm. stalwarts of of world cinema I would uh, at the very least uh, urge you to check out Asghar Faradi and Majid Majidi they are a lot more approachable than uh, Akiyoristami mm-hmm. again there is there are a lot of other movies from that region as well which we're not going to have time to make justice to uh, Waltz with Bashir from Israel um, Persepolis Persepolis from uh, based on the comic only right yeah, yeah. yeah based on the comic uh, also from Iran uh, there are a lot of Uh, good movies that have come out from Iraq in the last couple of years uh, there was a movie called Mosul which i watched on netflix which is about uh, the isis retreat from mosul and how this small group of soldiers sort of take the city block by block uh, again there's i mean we could, we could go, go on and yeah, on but, but there's again a lot of good cinema from the from the middle east that we would definitely want uh, recommend that you check out uh, again so before we as we continue our journey eastwards uh, a quick word on the russian film industry as well uh, two names uh, jump to mind the obviously uh, one slightly older from the 20s and 30s i'm talking about sergey eisenstein mm-hmm. uh, again one of the pioneers of of the direction cinema would take as a medium uh, a way of storytelling uh, visually most famously known for his 1925 film battleship potemkin uh, a lot of us would have seen, seen the odessa steps sequence or at least some reference to it i think it's one of if not the most one of the most referenced sequences from cinema yeah like if you've seen the untouchables yes. and the sequence on the staircase is a direct reference to yes. battleship potemkin and i mean untouchables is probably the most famous one but yeah. there's i think i would say countless references to the odessa step sequence across television mm-hmm. music videos and and uh, cinema uh, so there's eisenstein uh, again there's a whole other body of work i'm just t- touching upon probably his most famous work so that it gives our listeners a sort of window into mm-hmm. uh, what they can expect and of course there's also andrei tarkovsky a few decades later i would say 50s and 60s and 70s again i would upfront come out and say i have not watched any of his movies from what i've read and understood about his movies again he's an author which you need to be able to digest yeah what it's what a very specific out. taste yeah um, and i don't think our we are, i don't think i am matured enough to okay. appreciate that sort of cinema yet i still need some i need a narrative hook to keep me engaged <laughs> otherwise i would just speaking of narrative hooks i kind of want to quickly talk about a film that came out in the 80s uh, it's called come and see This is one of the most terrifying films I've ever seen. Yes. And I think hands down the harshest and most realistic depiction of the Second World War. Basically, like and this and it's told through the Russian perspective. And it's told through the eyes of a young boy. Mm. And that boy who starts off as this person who wants to join the uh the the army yes and then eventually when he does and then th- the horrors he ends up seeing it's like the the best one of the best anti war films yes i've seen in some time and it's kind of nuts because this came out in the 80s uh and there was also the 80s had some really nice anti war films on the animated we'll actually go, I'll wait for that yes like, we're, we're going east we're yeah, going east, go east. so uh if you like if you if you've had a dicaprio moment wait we're, we're getting to yeah Uh, the movie that another anti-war film, but 
definitely one of the most upsetting films i've seen a great entry into the anti war films in recent memory has no business being that good it like the premise is there's a boy and there's a girl like a, a, a boy and, a, and and his sister who are trying to survive i'm just getting goosebumps remembering the movie yeah and i feel so sad yeah just trying to survive uh, japan in world war 2 and i think it starts with the fire bombing of tokyo yeah that's that's the event that kicks things off i mean the fire bombing of tokyo in, in and of itself is even if you keep aside sorry i'm going to do a short historical digression even if you keep aside the bombing of hiroshima nagasaki the atomic bombing even if the us had not done that the fire bombing of tokyo that took place i think a few weeks before that or a couple of weeks before that would in and of itself have been a war crime yeah the way i mean it's depicted beautifully in the movie but even this even like you cannot recreate how the thing was because what happened was when they dropped these bombs it was a particularly windy day in tokyo and because obviously of how heat works and you know hot wave mm-hmm. hot air comes up and stuff it sort of created a firestorm mm-hmm. where these winds Uh, kind of made the fires jump from building to building exacerbating the damage oh. it just made things worse i think 100000 people died the day of the fire bombing god just like oh. and girl the fireflies and that's and that's just the start of the movie exactly right and then it's like then i have i remember distinctly the day i watched it i watched it at home because it came up funnily enough in a quiz some place I said, okay, I need to watch this movie. And at the time, I didn't really cry, cry in films. I wish I could say the same today, but I feel my emotional range has been zapped. <laughs> so, I actually feel that, dude. I cry more in movies now. I yeah, I really do. Getting older, just feeling more vulnerable. Exactly. Right. So, like, and at that point, I was like, and I, I cried random stuff now. Dude. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, it makes no sense. It really does. It. I think just the most like there's a moment in last scene that I'm like, why am I getting emotional? <laughs> this is, but that's clearly where like our emotional range is at this yeah. point. But. I remember when Grave of the Fireflies ended and I was absolutely sobbing into my pillow and it is it's such a hard hard there's a, there's a live action version of it I wouldn't recommend it the the definitive experience is through the animated film and like I didn't I don't know if I I don't remember if I cried at the end of the movie I just felt empty I'm like the world sucks yeah we suck yeah N- none of us deserve to like existence is a burden if these are the things that are happening in the world we shouldn't be <laughs> i was like there just thinking of that end like, like oh my god yeah, like, oh dude it's just that i let's but yeah let's continue on from grave of the fireflies yes. so i mean that's 
one of the many beautiful movies that Studio Ghibli has put out. Uh, again, not the best window into the sort of movies that Studio Ghibli oh, yeah, makes. Like, they make a lot more light-hearted, fun stuff. It's not all Grave of the Fireflies. Everyone talks about Spirited Away, which is a really great film. Uh, lost out to Shrek the year it was released. But for me, the best Studio Ghibli film is Princess Mononoke. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my opinion, Miyazaki's masterpiece, I don't think he's... He's done a lot of good films. Yes. Uh, my Neighbor Totoro, again, is wonderful. Um, Nausicaa and then more recently uh, oh my god where The Wind Rises yeah The Wind Rises uh, as there is Howl's Moving Castle another really really so I think Kimino Kimino what Uh, my name what's the your name that's not Miyazaki no 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 but that's also Japanese is it Ghibli no it's a good Japanese animation Makoto Shinkai Uh. um your name is off. And yeah. yeah. But anyway, so there's a lot. So there's a lot of good Japanese anime. Uh, anime. I would, uh, it's not anime. Is it anime? It's anime. I think broad based. You just call them animated yeah. films. Great. Like Hayao Miyazaki is one. Satoshi Kon, who again extremely influential to the works of a lot of Hollywood films. Perfect Blue, which is the story of uh, a a celebrity like a this girl who's a pop star kind of figure, who starts being stalked and then it just turns into this weird psychological uh, horror thriller and and you see influences of it in in Wrecking for a Dream you see influences of it in Black Swan mm. then Paprika which I think was also another movie he did you see a lot of it in Inception so these are directors that have that through the medium of animated films you don't like we grew up on the Disney and the DreamWorks kind of films right I think somewhere you get up and then you watch A Ghost in the Shell which heavily influenced the matrix so japanese cinema and we're not even haven't even got to the live action bit yet. yeah there's so much to take just from the animated world. I mean, for a country of that size the sort of cultural impact and output they have is disproportionate astoundingly disproportionate i love how we've gone into japanese cinema and not mentioned akira kurosawa I, was just gonna, I mean obviously <laughs> we're not not gonna do that i was just gonna get to that in fact, I wanted to sort of juxtapose Akira Kurosawa, uh, Kurosawa with another director uh, to sort of kind of circle back to our discussion that started this whole thing off about how the new wave realistic movement sort of took place. I would say even before, uh, I mean, now I'm just revising my view, even before the Italian sort of kickstarted it, uh, there was somebody in Japan who was already telling very grounded, very human stories, uh, which is Yasujiro Ozu. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, his movies are not easy to watch because they're slow, because we are used to spectacle in movies, but yes. his movies are, again, he is just, his camera is an observer, mm-hmm. uh, artfully placed his his composition of scenes I mean forget for the time are outstanding even today yeah. the way Asujiro frames Asujiro Ozu frames is, is an art in itself mm-hmm. but he was very grounded while Kurosawa again this is my opinion has always gone for larger than life mm-hmm. be it Seven Samurai be it uh, Yojimbo be it uh, Hidden Fortress Rashomon. Hidden Fortress Rashomon all of it I would say Rashomon is probably his most grounded film mm-hmm. but even that it's a very grandiose story about uh, Samurai Honor and I, f- I mean this is completely my speculation but I feel Kurosawa's filmography is more a response or a sort of pushback to Japanese demilitarization after the second world war because mm-hmm. He sort of harkens back to the the Gold glory age. days of mm-hmm. Japan, the martial era, samurai, honor, bushido code, and mm-hmm. all of that. While obviously post Hiroshima and Nagasaki, Japan consciously took 
a step to detach itself from that martial line of thought and be demilitarized mm-hmm. be little more whatever you know like focus on business and mm-hmm. stuff and not worry about all of this stuff where i feel kurosawa was like hey no this is something we should celebrate and he made a, his cinematic contribution was an effort to sort of harken back to those days while ozu is like all that is great but this is what japan today lives like mm-hmm. uh, so it's a great contrast at least in my mind i feel it's a great juxtaposition of two authors two great directors uh, i would say more or less in the same era telling stories in very different ways coming back to kurosawa right like uh, there are two very significant contributions that i can think of from this moment one is of, of course the rashomon effect yes. which for those of you who don't know the rashomon effect is seeing the story the same story play out from different perspectives like we've seen a bunch of films do it like closer to him again a case where a movie has now become a narrative device in exactly right which is mind blowing right exactly that concept like, what word yeah so you literally call the rashomon effect right yeah. you, where talwar is told from different perspectives yes. vantage point is told from different perspectives and that's like to have that legacy is kind of insane yes. but then also to have a movie called the hidden fortress yes. which paid tribute inspired inspired is no, no, very heavily, generous heavily heavily paid tribute to i'd say uh-huh. in star wars again i would say that that's being polite yeah. say, a fair bit of a rip off so. yeah. the screen wipe yeah, screen the, wipe more than anything else is yeah. is but uh, even in, in in terms of the story and all a lot of it is taken from hidden fortress yeah. right for star wars yeah so that's obviously the legacy directors i'm sure we're missing out on a few we have yeah i just want to talk about one a much more recent movie uh, shoplifting i think which was a 2018 or 2017 we, i mean we have movie. to talk about also drive my car released this year which won the best foreign film yes yeah, it's also that i think shoplifting won the best foreign film in its year mm-hmm. which it talks about it's a group of uh, street urchins beggars who have sort of coalesced into a family unit. Uh-huh. So there's a there's a mother, there's a father, there's a grandma and there there are two kids. I think the only people who are actually related are the husband and wife. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is they come from different walks of life and they've made this family together. It is such a touching movie. It is again, I think I have had goosebumps every scene. Like this is one of those movies where every scene is is heavy with uh emotion heavy with like meaning every scene is just interaction between two characters i'm just like bro this movie just does not relent it's just gut punch after I gut punch it's amazing uh, so the a quick correction the movie's name is shoplifters not shoplifting it's by a director called hiro kazu korida i don't know any of his other works but mm. i would highly 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 recommend but uh, sit with a box of tissues because you're going to cry Speaking of unrelenting films, I want to quickly talk about Japanese horror and Japanese, which again is a is a whole other thing. Like Ringu, everyone talks yes. about the ring being an experience. Ringu is absolutely terrifying. Yes. The Grudge is absolutely terrifying. The OG Grudge is OG Grudge. way worse than the English English one. The English Grudge is very uh, tempered down. Yeah. But if one experience that truly stands out to me, and I think generally. anybody who's watched a japanese film has had some sort of experience with world cinema has heard of a movie called audition oh damn i was hoping you were going to talk about it <laughs> takashi miike's audition yes. so i discovered takashi miike through quentin tarantino who spoke about audition and i was like okay i need to watch this film 
Oh man, big mistake. <laughs> I didn't watch it. Cuz I read the plot I'm like fuck no dude. <laughs> it is uh it's about this guy who whose wife passes and has passed for a few years yeah. and he decides to get himself a new wife for like a, and then they start auditioning actresses and he meets this girl and that's all I'll say. Yeah. And then the ending of that film is just ah oh, dude it is it it is You've probably seen screen grabs of it everywhere. It's one of those iconic moments in cinema kind of things. Definitely, definitely worth checking out. But also be prepared because it is a very harrowing. Yeah, like I want to say watch the movie, but I also want to say don't watch the movie. Yeah, like be prepared. Like I prepared you for it. If you're curious, you will go down the rabbit hole. If you're, um, I mean, if that sounds a bit too much, then stay away. because the ending is just oh man there is a scene at the end and I, uh, words cannot describe how you will feel yeah it's moving gurney sacks anyways no. <laughs> <laughs> uh okay so i think that's japan let's quickly move to south korea, korea? yes yes i'm sure there's a lot to talk the about. most influential industry on bollywood south korean films yes. on sanjay gupta if nobody sanjay else. gupta if nobody else <laughs> so where does one begin with south korean films let's talk let's start with park chan wook Yeah, I think South Korea the 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 movies that everyone talks about of it's not had as much of a storied history as the other industries we've talked about. I would say nineties, nineties, two thousands is when South Korean movie really came on, burst onto the scene, and yeah. people were like, "Wow!" and let's lift this. <laughs> so you've got like all kinds of films. You have My Sassy Girl, which is a romantic comedy, one of the best romantic comedies you'll see. You have some. insane revenge stories la uh, sympathy for for misvengeance yeah no. sympathy for misvengeance mm. uh that's or, the revenge trilogy revenge trilogy yeah, yeah. Uh, then you have old boy which is the in my opinion the definitive revenge film yes there isn't some anything better uh also speaking of unrelenting underland oh yeah under old boy i you know what old boy has old boy's ending has is one of the most shocking we mentioned this on the podcast before yes. one of the most shocking endings put to film Don't watch the Spike Lee version. I'm going yes. to say this again. I say this on every episode. I mention Old Boy. Do not watch the Spike Lee version. Watch the Park Chan Wook version. It is so damn good. It is like it is a narr a narrative that just does not stop. Yes. Also, if uh, if there's any fans of Daredevil out there, uh, I'm I know what sequence. I mean, you know what sequence I'm talking about. The hallway fight of sequence. Of course, yeah. Direct homage to to Old Boy. Of course, yeah. and I think Daredevil tends yeah. to repeat it. uh they do it in season 1 and they do it again season 2 but yeah. season 3 they really perfect it yes uh, season 3's uh prison hallway sequence yes. is perfection possibly one of my best my favorite uh one shot yes um scenes in 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 any sort of media old boy sort of set the template exactly. that now yeah the devil is building on again so many memorable moments from that movie park chan wook is kind of oh, I think if he makes a film, I tend to end up watching it. Uh, there is another really nice film that came out a couple of years ago, twenty sixteen, called The Handmaiden. Mm-hmm. It's a period piece. It's about this girl who's a con artist and is sent to go look after uh, this heiress to a huge, um, to a huge family, and they develop a relationship while also like navigating. feudal south i think she's japanese and she's korean mm-hmm. and then there's a whole they don't have a great relationship they don't so there's like there's a whole uh world that is fighting to obviously it's set in feudal in the feudal area mm-hmm. and then you have these eccentric 
um, personas in the house. There is obviously the guy who sent her. Mm-hmm. He has his own motives. So there's it, it's a, a game with several revolving characters. Mm. Such an entertaining watch. Highly, highly recommend. Korean horror is also another really great. Yes, I I would say very different from Japanese horror. Mm-hmm. It's its own brand. You would almost say uh, the Handmaiden has slightly horror horror elements attached to it. I don't know if you've seen it. I haven't. Oh, it's uh, for me, Korean horror. Obviously, the strain to Busan. But for me, the movie that stuck with me the most is The Wailing. Of course, The Wailing is on Amazon. It's a three-hour, two and a half hour to three-hour film. Uh, it begins very strangely because it begins almost like a comedy. Yes, I mean the 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 protagonist remains a bumbling comedic figure. pretty much for the first half of the movie yeah or i would say two thirds of the movie just the last one third is when shit really goes down oh yes i don't want to watch that movie again yeah. it's very stressful it it really is and it just there's a point in the film where like you're laughing and then you're suddenly not laughing anymore yes. and that's the wailing's best attribute i don't like being fucked with <laughs> i love horror <laughs> comedies fucked with me yeah <laughs> i love horror comedies like uh, we've mentioned on previous yes. episodes about how much we like th- those kind of films But the wailing is a comedy. It's not. I wouldn't even call it's it. Not, a it's not a horror comedy. It's just. It's got sprinkles of comedy, and comedy here is not to comfort you. It is to put you. Uh, it is to catch you off guard. Exactly. It, it is for. It is to help you put your guard down. Because when the comedic bits come, you're like, okay, okay, let's let's enjoy this. And suddenly it's all. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> I just was relaxing. Uh, that's that's what it uh, I have. Uh, I and it's clear both Abhin and I love the Wailing. The Wailing is twenty eighteen, twenty eighteen. Yes, amazing movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, uh, with OTT now, more than enough people have been exposed to a lot of Korean stuff. There's Squid Game. We're not going to spend too much time talking about that. There's yeah. uh, All of Us Are Dead, which is again a recent. There's a whole bunch of zombie. Uh, I would say TV shows and movies that have come out. I think. primarily because of oh. su- the success of train to busan mm-hmm. we should obviously mention uh, bong joon ho uh, of course so how we should, i think how it could, would be how rem- could you not remiss in our if we didn't mention bong joon ho parasite of course yes. has taken First the world one english movie to win best best picture best picture, best picture. Uh, a defining moment in in south korea's uh, what a movie yeah loved it loved it but not my favorite bong joon ho movie which uh, would be Memories of Murder. Yeah, I think you've told me. Yeah, this. Memories yeah. of Murder for me. Uh, I remember distinct scenes from that film, and they just stand out. Memories of Murder is equivalent, no? No, that's I saw the devil. I saw the devil. Memories of Murder is two detectives are brought in to oh, solve a yes. case of yes. uh, girls who are disappearing and ending Correct. up in bushes Correct. in a small town near Seoul, and it's just them like running down blind alleys to end up catching this guy. Hmm. It's such an investing ex- experience. I remember because I had a great day. I watched this and I watched Zodiac back to back, and I, I was like, "Dude, I don't think I'm gonna have such a good day when it comes to like Hollywood like, like the thrillers ever again, <laughs> especially discovering new thrillers." Oh, those, those two Zodiac. I love anyone who knows me. I knows yes. I absolutely love David Fincher's Zodiac. Oh, you've never mentioned your love of Fincher. No, oh, God, I, <laughs> damn it! I don't know why we brought this back up, but okay. Uh, <laughs> Memories of Murder is one of my favorite films. It's funnily enough not streaming anywhere on right at the moment. It was on Amazon for a bit. Yeah, but it's it's hard. I mean, it's a bit of a risky movie for a platform to have on it. It's 
It's it's out there, dude. It's like, out there. It's, it's on it's on other platforms. It's just not on on Amazon at this okay. point. Like, no, it, it does its 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 route. Oh, okay. I think Neon has the rights for streaming, so okay. they keep sending it around. Um, yeah. Then you mentioned Ek Villain, but this I saw the Devil. Arkamuel Botta. Yeah. I think that's the. I don't know why I even know the Korean name for it, but <laughs> what a movie, dude. Yeah. Again, another unrelenting experience. Yes. The premise of this is simple. The guy in Wailing is in. No, that's the guy from Old Boy. He's in one of the two. He's an old boy, and he's in uh, I Saw the Devil. I Saw the Devil. He's Correct. the. Oh, mm. I I remember his name, but damn it. So yeah, Minsik Choi is uh, is the guy. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, for my recommend. So I saw the devil. If you've seen Ek Villain and you absolutely hated your existence, <laughs> uh, this is what I would recommend. The story is again very simple, very similar. There's a girl who is heading back home one night, ends up getting stuck in the snow. Asks a nearby a person for help, gets creeped out by him, refuses his help, and he just loses it and kills her, chops her up and throws her into the river. Uh, as you do, as you do, deranged <laughs> idiot. and just so happens that she en- ends up being the police commissioner's daughter yeah. and she's engaged to the nation's best spy uh played by Lee Byung-hun who was in uh, Squid Game he was as, in Squid Game yeah. right and he was also snake no he was also what, storm shadow in GI Joe if those of you remember right hmm. much lesser known role much <laughs> lesser known role and then this dude makes it a point to go after yeah, yeah. him and make his life a living hell yeah. but he, he, every time he beats him to the point of death he just leaves and he keeps chasing him and then it becomes a game of cat and mouse yes. because Minsik Choi's character also decides to play the game and then they keep going back and forth great story great revenge story on what revenge will actually do to a person mm. uh almost reminds me of i mean i would say raman raghav reminds me of this movie. there's a heavy influence yes because again in that vicky kaushal and nawaz are both terrible people in their own right sort in of badlapur for that matter in badlapur for that matter yeah. has that whole rem very reminiscent of i saw the devil yeah um i would also want to mention uh, i was thinking of it when you were talking about the handmaiden um thinking of the whole uh, medieval korean era which is called the joseon empire era which is the 14th to 17th centuries There's a show on Netflix called The Kingdom. Okay. If you haven't watched, it's the zombie. It's the I mean it, the premise itself, right? It's a zombie outbreak in 16th century Joseon Korea. Damn. That's amazing show. That's uh, amazing show. I loved it to bits. If you haven't checked I haven't it out, seen it yet. I know. The very next thing you should do after we stop recording is watch Kingdom. It's Go. amazing. Done. Okay, where are we going next? Next quick, I think before we we should now jump across the Pacific. and on the way maybe do a quick detour of uh, indonesia and australia and then end at mexico what cool. do you say yeah that sounds good right yeah <laughs> so indonesia again not much to say uh, i just want to talk a quick minute on uh, i think indonesia's biggest export is these unrelenting action movies that they make i would primarily of course being raid mm-hmm. uh, a great exhibition for the indonesian martial art of silat if i if i remember rightly Uh for those of you who haven't watched Raid if you watch 2012's Dread mm-hmm. it's the same story it's uh there's this big crime lord who is sitting at the top of a building and the entire movie is about a bunch of cops who have to make their way floor by floor and try and get to him uh on on top and on the way there are his goons who are at every floor trying to thwart the police force mm-hmm. and it's just it's it doesn't make sense but it is so good to it's watch it's so much fun yeah uh have we 
I quickly also want to like I, I kind of missed this uh, a little earlier, but this is it's mostly this is a Japanese film uh, called Battle Royale. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean for the Tar- Tarantino yeah for the uh, Tarantino love. influence if nothing else yeah you have to have to check it out like if you've seen Kill Bill and you I highly recommend that you go check out Battle Royale. Uh, very Hunger Games in its yes. in its plot. Speaking of also Indonesian films, Infernal Affairs, which uh, are the two OG films, Departed. Yeah, the OG Departed. I prefer the Departed yeah. to Infernal Affairs, but if you really want to see what um, where the Departed gets a lot of its influence from, Infernal Affairs is a great um, mm. series for you to check out. Also, um, I thought the movie was Chinese, and that reminds me, we did not speak about Chinese cinema oh, at all. Yeah, dude. Two minutes. Mm. Quick version. <laughs> of what Ch- would it yes uh, Jackie Chan's filmography in the 80s yes Police Story yes uh, Ang Lee's Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon yes uh, Jet Li's House of the Flying Daggers um, what else uh, all of the Shaolin movies yeah. like 36 Chamber of the Shaolin, Shaolin. this that yeah. and the other Shaolin movie which we want to talk Shaolin about Shaolin Soccer, Soccer, Soccer yeah. which, which just pokes fun at uh, all of those Chinese tropes Kung Fu Hustle is another one Kung a Fu really fun one. fun film yes yes uh, so Chinese movies, it's it's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Yeah. But uh, always worth uh, the, the gamble. And moving on, I think we quickly detour to Hong Kong for a little bit. Oh my God, yes. Yeah, we come like, I, I see Rohit's eyes and yeah. he's like, I, I can't believe we forgot Wong Kar Wai. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. yes. So uh, Wong Kar Wai is in the mood for love. Oof. Most seductive movie out there. Oh, of course. And Tony Leung, oh my goodness, dude. If you've seen Sha- Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings... Imagine that guy young. Imagine that guy young, exactly. (laughs) And imagine just how charming that man is. So In the Mood for Love is a story about uh, a marriage breaking. It's about a guy whose marriage with his wife is breaking and a woman whose marriage with her husband is breaking and they sort of but don't get together. There's this will they, won't they. Mm -hmm. We won't tell you whether they do or they don't, Mm -hmm. but that's what the movie is very broadly about. Again, it's it's more a mood piece. Mm-hmm. It's a slow watch. But unlike the other movies that we mentioned, it's not a difficult watch. It's a, lot, it's a lot more aesthetically accessible. Aesthetically so pleasing. Yeah. And the characters are so relatable. You can sort of... I don't know. You can almost feel their longing mm-hmm. for each other and how they're bound by the fact that they're married and they don't want to cheat, but they... They know they can't cheat, but they want to. It's it's a very it's a tangled hot mess, but it's an amazing movie. Okay, so yeah, we've done that with our very convoluted detour. Before we move to end out Mexico, we want to spend a quick minute on Australia because there's a lot of good talent that has come out of there. Obviously, you have your Hemsworth brothers and stuff, but there's also Joel Edgerton. Uh, who himself stars in this 2010 movie called The Animal Kingdom, mm-hmm. directed by David Michaud. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. But uh, the movie centered around uh, this crime family, uh, which was inspired by real life uh, Sydney or Melbourne crime family. I'm not sure. But there was this whole uh, crime family, which was uh, headed by a matriarch. Uh, All of them went to jail Mm -hmm. uh, while the matriarch claimed that she didn't know that she was the head of a crime family. It's a very ridiculous case. Uh Uh, They are like the Corleone's of Australia. Oh, nice. And that's uh, that's a very strange set of words in a sentence. Exactly. So Animal Kingdom is basically Australian Godfather. Okay. Oh, that's, that's the pitch. That's that's, that's, uh, that's on going on my list because I really need to check this out. It it is a, again, a very tense, but a very engaging watch. I remember I watched it long back. I don't remember much of it, but very, very nice movie. Uh, There's a lot of other movies, a lot of other directors from Australia. 
न्यूजीलैंड ऑफकोर्स स्ट्राइका वाई टी टी हंड फॉर दिल्ड पीपल just good yeah oh my god love and thunder is an experience i wish i never had again yes i i rewatched it again just to see if it was just me being jet lagged no, it, it it got worse on the second watch yes. uh but so there's australia new zealand please please check out I check their english like, please i want to mention one more australian film mm-hmm. very i mentioned this in the pod previously it's called lake mango mm-hmm. it's by this unheard of australian director it's like a mockumentary style film not a lot of mostly first time actors very very like a uh, low budget indie horror it's about this um this family where their daughter goes missing and they start to grieve and in the night they hear bumps so they put cameras to see if someone's in uh, invading or like uh, breaking into the house and then they start to see her in the video footage and that just leads them down a rabbit hole of trying to find out what happened to their daughter and where she has disappeared to it's okay. it is so good I, i highly recommend it i found is it this there on, yeah it's i think it's on uh, on amazon okay. so i found this on chris tuckman's channel uh, channel chris tuckman is a renowned youtube reviewer and he said you have to check this out i watched it absolutely adored it uh so this is to my flatmates into my roommates and they just it's, it's a movie we all love okay. it's, it's a very small little film that came out of australia not a lot of it's got de- it's de- it's developed some sort of a cult status mm-hmm. uh, recently highly highly recommend from australia just to close off uh, that part okay. of the world and with that i think we come to the last bit on our journey around the world yeah <laughs> we'll we'll sort of end our journey with mexico uh, again a lot of directors to talk about here who do you want to start with let's start with Inari- with inarito yes i would say the most artistic of the lot I mean, so is QR on, but I think Inari Two takes more risks. Yeah. Uh, most of us would probably know him for Birdman, mm-hmm. uh, Revenant. What else? What else? Twenty-one grams. Twenty-one grams is also him. Babel. Babel. Yes, mm-hmm. Babel is where I first heard of him. Very uh, characteristic approach. you know when you're watching an elite in a retro film that does not mean narratively his films are repetitive or mm-hmm. similar but you just know he he does things differently i don't know how else to put it yeah he's very much that yeah. he is he is like i don't think he would be satisfied doing a plain jane film i really don't think he would i think the revenant is uh, is a relentless experience yes it's you feel cold while sitting in the movie theater yes. watching it um there is one scene the when you mentioned revenant i remember i don't think it's even important to the narrative right but i remember i was watching it in theaters there is one scene where you see the camera slowly pan down hmm. to the bonfire yeah and there's it's snowing and you see this uh snowflakes being lit up by the fire and it's melting as it comes closer so i remember watching that scene and i was just like this is cinematic porn <laughs> doesn't matter what the story is has a great just it's a break from narrative just one minute i'm here to appreciate that things can look like this that's it yeah, there's a great tribute to star wars in there oh what the him slicing the horse open and oh yeah yeah it's like empire nice, strikes nice. back nice so yeah, yeah. Uh, there's there's a lot of i think i think in yeah, revenant is probably his weakest movie yeah, yeah it's probably not it's his yeah. weakest film Birdman was an experience. Yes. I think this was the first one of the first few 
one take films we i'd ever seen there's another russian film that's done it that is an actual uh, it's called the ark that oh. is an actual one take film oh, birdman yeah. is in post they've made yeah, it look like, yeah. like the ark is a one legit one take film there you have 21 grams which is a depressing film yes, you have very beautiful which is somehow even more depressing uh, in ritos films are very hard hitting they're usually riveting watches never a dull moment rather like it's it's slow but it's not like grindingly slow it's not slow i mean it's not that's not the problem with the movie it's just that it can be a bit much sometimes you either like an enrito film or you don't you don't yeah. like there's no gray area yes i don't like the revenant i honestly don't i loved the birdman when i first watched it but i feel i don't like i wouldn't like the movie as much if i saw it today mm-hmm. i i don't know how to put it i individually don't love any of his movies mm-hmm. but i i treasure him, exactly i treasure him for what he's putting out there like nice. bro tu kar bhai <laughs> you are doing something different keep doing it uh then can we pause can we need to Quiron. move on yeah quaron quaron is is a lot more is is like everyone will it's you won't hate him he's more palatable he's i mean you have ito mama tambin which is it's a great coming of age movie oh yeah very sexual film i feel like it is it is and then david hayman and one of those in, in a way isn't it an honest coming of age movie yeah. because i mean as a as a I mean in your teens what other thing is on more on on your mind than sex yeah. so so there's <laughs> I love how one of brothers and David Hayman saw that and said hey would you please direct the third installment of Harry Potter <laughs> and possibly direct the best Harry Harry Potter film ever made most visually expressive Harry Potter film it changed it, the tone yes and like all of the others i mean chris columbus has said he did the job he was supposed to do which is induct young kids into the harry potter verse mm. and david yates and all did service to the story but just that pure mm-hmm. was like yeah there is a story but i want to say it or i want to show it in a way yeah. i want to do that it, it is the whole the feather sequence in uh, in uh, prison of askaban there is a sequence where it just the follows fe- the feather yeah, exactly and it's like wow the feather time sequence- out of a movie just to and even the the dementor sequence in yeah. prisoner of askaban is there were people crying in our movie theater my sister cried because it's just it, it's, it's a pg13 film yeah. must have been what um 6 or 7 at the time uh and no yeah 8 she's 8 years old she's like and where are my parents <laughs> there's no guidance my mother was sitting there and crying too so um it's it's such a terrifying sequence this is the dementors bend down suddenly you know this So it's like it's, it's the it's the hand on the door that really that gets also. me like where it just like you you see the figure yeah. move in and then like I know we didn't we said we wouldn't speak Hollywood but Quaron's legacy yes. is as such um, he did Roma a movie that I don't connect with hey, it uh, was too slow yeah I I don't particularly connect with it but then he also did Gravity which, which for was... me is to this day the best IMAX experience I have ever had in for me it was until I watched uh, Fury Road but mm-hmm. Uh, yeah gravity is is I have stellar it's a leap forward like you have movies where in a movie technology leaps forward storytelling the technical aspect of story storytelling leaps forward gravity is one such movie yeah i distinctly remember being terrified of it, it, it's not a horror movie by any yeah, stretch it's not it's just it's, and it's something that can happen yeah, to you yeah, I, mean, i mean not to us or whenever going to be astronauts, astronauts but it's like you being stuck alone in space right oof 
with the vastness of space can somehow still seem so claustrophobic yeah uh and uh, actually i feel the tagline of alien is a lot more pertinent when it comes to gravity in space no one can hear you scream i just <laughs> I, i the best tagline to have ever been created yeah. it was whoever came up with that in 1979 just like to <laughs> props uh but queron aside I, um we can quickly move on is there any other movie children of men oh of course i didn't realize it's queron with, yeah, with clivoven yeah with clivoven mm. uh, again that movie is way ahead of its time i mean it it talks describe about describe what it's about uh, so the movie is about uh, it's it's set in a slightly uh, i mean it's not too much of the future it's a slight dystopian future or how do i put it the dystopian future which is not too many years in, yeah, down the line mm-hmm. where people have stopped being able to reproduce naturally okay and the world is dying out there are no kids and then they find this one lady that has miraculously gotten pregnant and they want to uh, there are people who don't want her to Deliver. sort of want humanity to end out mm-hmm. and clive owen and a bunch of people sort of shepherd this lady from one from one side of the country to i forgot which country to some place else where they want to do research on her and figure out how she is able to get pregnant there's obviously the obvious virgin mary allegory and there's kind of religious Man, over- i didn't realize how much that influenced the last of us yes yes yeah. so children of men is a seminal work in dystopian science fiction uh which is very largely unacknowledged because it didn't do well at at the time of its release but it has it has indirectly influenced a lot of cinema down the line mm-hmm. and again i would say may not be his best movie but probably one of his most important yeah, movies most influential films so so that's queron uh you want to end with i know you want to end with yeah let's end with uh, the director that suggested i watch possession gimodel <laughs> toro so gimodel toro has this movie called the devil's backbone which mm-hmm. came out i think one of his earlier films and it's about this boy who's set in um it, it's set i think in 90s in 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 the 20s and it's about this guy who's living in an orphanage that turns out to be haunted and that's the wonderful thing about game of thrones i hadn't seen any of his work i hadn't seen hellboy i'd seen the posters for it i had no idea what his um kind of film his film style was and i think if you were to ask me what kind of movies do i that i would like to make i would like to make movies that gimodel toro makes because it tells human stories but there's a fantastical element involved in it mm. so when pan's labyrinth won the best uh, oscar for foreign film in 2006 i went and checked it out and it blew my mind because it's set in the spanish civil war mm. but it's a tale of a girl who enters this world where she meets a fawn and enters this fantastical um no, honestly that's not even the takeaway of the movie the takeaway of the movie is how in that bleak time she has to deal with the authority figure yeah that oversees it. and like you said it's a human tale set in a fantastic universe the universe is a great storytelling element but that's not what you that's not what's going to stay with you after yeah it's also like yeah exactly it's like the it's the human story that really stays with you of course you have some amazing imagery yeah you have given to it was one of the most original directors can you imagine his nightmares holy shit <laughs> and i've told you i've, I've mentioned house this more earlier more than anything else like no, no. his house is like walking through uh, a fantasy realm oh damn. Have, he walks in on the porch is a dragon like a huge statue of a dragon so the man is very clearly He's living a colorful life yeah i mean i also have mentioned this uh, blade 2 gave me nightmares for course, yeah. weeks on end because of how gilmore del toro i didn't know that was gilmore del toro when i watched it that's yeah. probably my first 
came out Deltora movie but then and after you after you know it's Deltora and you're like oh of course yeah and then you watch the stream and then you see okay direct influences yes. from Blade 2 yes. Pan's Labyrinth is one of my favorite experiences Hellboy 2 is mm, what a kaleidoscopic movie dude. yeah Hellboy 2 is so has no business being that good yeah Hellboy 1 is fun it's a lot of fun it's Hell- fun Hellboy 2 is just it's an acid trip yeah it's it's <laughs> it's, it's so much so much fun And of course I would be remiss in my duties if I didn't talk about one of the greatest theatrical experiences I've ever had with Pacific Rim. It's it an audience it made, movie. It made yeah, it a very divisive film. We've had like huge we, debates we, about and debates within our own friends circle. Yeah, I got friends circles have had like mudslinging competitions over yes. this. Um but for me if you make an audience of 20 people sound like a packed house, mm. I think you've done your job. and pacific rim borrows heavily from anime you can see the the gundam the evangelion influences a big screen experience like i mean i am on the side of pacific rim being awesome mm-hmm. <laughs> like i oh, my only regret is i didn't watch it in theaters i watched it twice i remember watching it in on a regular screen and saying why oh, need to watch this movie in imax such a fun film yeah um uh, yeah and i think the devil's backbone which i was just mentioning earlier on is again a really nice film it takes a um again a human story like uh, of a boy looking for company and then adds a fantastical element in there there's of course shape of the shape of water mm. which one best picture it was a bad movie i liked it i was very happy gave it a maybe may not have been the film he should have won for yeah uh i didn't quite I mean, like yeah, i'm happy for him but mm. then movie sucked <laughs> i didn't like nightmare alley either i didn't like nightmare alley either but i would still say nightmare alley is better than shape of water oh, really? i don't even know what the point of shape of water is the water story it's a convoluted long winded love story but it's like putting women and fish like man. fucking nemo <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i think no correct the joke that i remember i had made at the point was grinding nemo grinding nemo <laughs> oh, dear god Okay, I think there's no better way to end this episode <laughs> than, than, than that joke. I'm sure we've missed a lot of directors. There will be a part two of this at some point. Yeah. I feel like we haven't gone down anywhere near Michael Haneke or Michel Hassan, Hassanavike, sir. Um, there's a lot of Argentinian, Brazilian good movies. Pedro Almodovar, we haven't gone anywhere near. Like him and Antonio Banderas. Is, by the time we, that episode rolls around, I will have watched more of <laughs> So Amadova's the next time, uh, Avin, we should not just decide this topic uh, two hours before we record. but do it a few days in advance and come with some perhaps we don't miss out on directly yeah i think no i think we've already given the the amount of time we've had to prep for this yeah we've, we've covered a fair bit we've watched a lot of movies yes i'm 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 glad to say yeah so i think we'll probably go there are a few directors we've missed i know we've missed them i know we haven't spoken about we've missed an entire continent although i don't i haven't watched any african cinema the closest to african cinema i watched is casablanca because it's set in morocco <laughs> I have the yeah, I have my experience with African cinema is is very limited. Yeah. I think uh, I've seen one or two Nigerian films I can't remember. Hmm. So maybe I think that's something for us to discover yeah. on uh, for for future episodes. But that's us. Uh, if I know this has been an episode with a lot of information a lot of films. Yeah, you guys might want to take note. I think we've given you brief intros on yes. on most of the films. I think we've tried to I, even if they're not probably the objective best movies of every industry at least movies that abinor or i have liked from each industry yeah, like and if you these, like the sort of movies we like you'll definitely be intrigued like if you notice of the films that we've talked about in detail these are movies that we've watched personally so we can recommend them yes we've been in like the whole idea of this podcast is for it to be accessible to anyone like this is literally coming off the back of an episode on on super bollywood films so 
anything we recommend was probably has some sort of merit to it and we highly recommend that you check it out yeah and that's that just makes our day i think that's that's it for us yeah that's it for this episode we'll see you uh we'll see you on the next one so they opened their big mouths and now came talk talk talk